Thank you very much for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire here at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant filled life. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this sermon. Talking to today about building, continuing the series, building our foundation, uh, and the final aspect of what we will talk about today. Uh, this evening is serving others, serving others. Beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Verse 5. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not understand now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him for this reason. He said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, as a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But as that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to share together the word. Lord, I thank you for all of this wonderful technology, God, that you have blessed us with in this day, O oh Lord. God, in a season where we're able to use technology to anticipate a storm that may be coming and bring snow that will make it difficult to travel, we're able to get the word out in mere hours to people and gather many together. 
Lord, on a Saturday night in order to preempt the storm and record the message for those who can't be here and replay it on a Sunday morning so that others who are part of the church can join in as well. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to utilize this technology to be able to broadcast to whoever in the world would want to see or hear the message, Lord God, that they could hear it, God. I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. But God, in that exact same moment, we are mindful even right now of brothers and sisters who are being tortured for Christ because they proclaim his name and they love Jesus. And we don't forget them and we don't take this opportunity for granted in this moment, oh God. We don't just waltz in here and kick back and think it's, a, it's another time to listen to something and I'll hear it and I'll go home and be the same person. We sang it, we said it, we believe your presence is here, O God. And you have ordained that by the preaching of the gospel, that a move of your spirit would take place among your people, and we pray for that tonight by your grace. And so, God, we pray that we would be obedient, that we would listen, that we would act and walk according to the truth of your word. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus, who is Lord and Savior. Amen. 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 So again, we have been working through a series this month in, uh, entitled Building Our Foundation and specific to Riverstone Church. So as Sister Autumn mentioned to you and talked about the Riverstone journey, we want to focus on four aspects that we believe God is calling us uh, to be as a people uh, together, worshiping Jesus. So that's what we, we started out on the first Sunday of January, talking about what it meant to be a worshiping community, to gather together and to exalt the name of Jesus. We talked, secondly, about living joyfully that we are going to disciple people so they are less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus so they can live joyfully in him. We believe that people find the most joy in life when they are full of the Holy Spirit, serving Jesus and free from sin, free from the things of the past. And so we want to disciple people so they can become more and more like the Lord. Thirdly, we want to help people find their purpose in the kingdom. If you are worshiping Jesus, you're in the kingdom, you've been baptized, you're living joyfully, you're being discipled, we want to help you find your purpose in the kingdom. Where do you serve? Where do you find your fulfillment in serving Jesus? Not only do we want to find purpose, but finally, we want to be a church that serves others. And in many ways, I believe that this message tonight and tomorrow morning is the ultimate testimony to the lifestyle of a Christian because it is truly modeling ourselves after Jesus, being people who are like Jesus. I hope that at some point, here in the next few 
months, years, once we work through the book of Acts, uh, I pray that we get into the book of John. There's so much in uh, the book of John to teach and to uh, learn from. John never uh, explicitly identifies himself in uh, this gospel. When you read through it, you find the one who is writing is identified as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, the, the writer of this gospel was in the upper room for the foot washing that we just read about and the Last Supper. He was at the foot of the cross as an eyewitness to the crucifixion. He was at the empty tomb. He was at the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection. He was the one who recognized the Lord Jesus Christ on the seashore in John uh, 21, 7. And there's just an overwhelming body of evidence that points to this gospel being written by John, who was the son of Zebedee. And what's interesting about this uh, gospel is that the first 12 chapters of the gospel of John cover about three years in uh, Jesus's life, and it is the last chapters, 13 through 20, that cover about three or four days. So he spends 12 chapters quickly working through everything that Jesus did in three years, and then he just stops, and it's like in slow motion going through chapters 13 and through 20 that focuses on these last few moments of Jesus' life. The first 12 chapters really could be referred to as the book of signs because it talks about the signs of Jesus being the Messiah. And that's what John wants to point us to, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah that has been long awaited for. And the last chapters of the book could be referred to as the book of glory, talking about Jesus' passion and his preparation for his disciples to enter into this new covenant community. John points us to that it is this Jesus, only Jesus, who is the Son of God and the Christ. Chapters 13 through 17 in this gospel are only found in John. We don't find what's written in these chapters in the other gospels. Chapters 13 through 17, we specifically find this uh, in the gospel of John. If we didn't have this in John's gospel, we wouldn't be aware in detail of Jesus' intense concern for his disciples' love and unity with one another. We wouldn't be aware of his specific teaching on the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of, of the believer. We wouldn't be able to read the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this section, we see Jesus preparing his followers, his love for them, that he's preparing them for what's happening in their immediate future. He knows they're going to have trauma and experience loss at seeing him crucified on the cross and his burial, but he also prepares them for what's going to happen after the ascension. At the beginning of chapter 13, we find Jesus and his disciples prior to uh, the feast of Passover having supper together. The text is clear. Judas, the betrayer, is still in the room, and Satan had put it into his heart to betray Jesus to death. The word there is literally Satan cast it 
into Judas's heart to betray Jesus unto death. In verse 34, after Jesus had sent Judas out, if you were to read a little farther from our, our text, after Jesus had sent Judas out, he says something very pointed and profound to those who were left in the room. Now, recall Judas is there for the foot washing. Judas is there for communion. And then Jesus sends him out. He says, what you're going to do, go and do it quickly. So he sends him out of the room. And so who's left in the room is Jesus and the 11, those who believed in him, those who were the ones who he had just said uh, were clean. They're left in the room with Jesus. And this is where he says to them, I am giving you a new commandment. You who believe. You who see me as the Messiah, you who see me as the Christ, Judas gone, the unbeliever gone, the betrayer is gone. You who believe in me, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the sign, the new commandment of the believing community. How we treat one another in here, this is still the introduction. How we treat one another in here, how we love one another in here, how we care for one another, how we are long-suffering for one another in here tells those out there that we are disciples of Jesus. That's the new commandment. That you would love one another as he has loved us. See, we are, if we're truly disciples of Jesus, we've experienced this overwhelming love. God has come in and he has forgiven us of all of our sins. He has cast them from, from him and he remembers them no more. He has loved us with an everlasting love. And because that love has been poured in our heart, now we are able to truly love one another. What joy we can have if we truly grasp that as believers. If we truly understand what it means to live with one another in our homes and in our church in the spirit of Christ-like love. What we have to be assured of, and this brings me to the first point of the message, is that Jesus, Jesus loves people. Knowing that his hour had come, verse 1 says, that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. To the very end, on the cross, Jesus was still loving those who God had entrusted to him. And it tells us that God is relational with us. He wants a relationship. He wants fellowship with us. And you look at the beauty of God throughout the scriptures. You see in the beginning that God is relational in the garden. He's interacting with Adam and Eve. He's visiting with them. He's engaged with them. He is relational in the fall. God even made garments to cover Adam and Eve. He made the garments. He's relational in their sin and in their fall. God loves them. 
He is relational in redemption. Christ's passion as he's leading to the cross. And he's saying, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you in this world alone. But I'm going to send to you another comforter who will be with you and be in you. Wait in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere until the comforter has come. Relationship. And he's relational in the ultimate consummation, the bringing together of all things, when as we have prayed, we'll be before him in the beauty of holiness, crying out to him, holy, 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 the word of the Lord says, and so shall we ever be, not by ourselves over here in the corner of glory, not somewhere else, but so shall we ever be with the Lord, be with him in his presence, in light of his glory. Jesus loves people. He washed his disciples' feet. That was relational, touching someone, thinking about them, engaging with someone. He loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. You see, servanthood always begins with love. Servanthood always begins with love. Jesus not only loved those who loved him, but he also loved those who were going to betray him. Matthew 5 and 44 says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6, 27 through 36, the whole, you can read the whole piece there, but Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who are abusive to you. See, loving your enemies requires love in action. Do good to those who hate you. Do good. Act in a good way. Do good. Action. Pray. Action. Bless. Action. Loving your enemies requires love in action. And Jesus even shows that here in John 13 where he's willing to wash the feet of the one who is about to go and betray him for some silver. Jesus loves people. But we see Jesus not just saying he loves people. We see Jesus in action serving people. More than just saying he's a humble person, he was acting in humility. Remember, Jesus is the creator. If you read Colossians chapter 1, like starting around verse 16, what you see is this just glorious picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and why we should worship him and why he should be exalted. And Jesus as the creator, he is the creator of all things, Colossians says. Jesus, as the creator, humbles himself to the menial task. It was the job of the lowest servant to wash the feet. Now think about it. Dirty feet. I couldn't find them. I had a pair of sandals somewhere, but this will do. Think about spending your entire day in flip-flops. And some of you do that in the summertime, right? Uh, I, I, I don't have feet I like to show off very much. So I don't do that very often. 
But think about, in that culture, sandals. I mean, our culture is pretty cleaned up. You go out today and you put on your flip-flops, say, let's say on a summer day, you put on your flip-flops and you walk outside your house, you're walking on your sidewalk maybe, or you walk out in your garage to get in your car, you're sitting in the car, you're in the car riding to where you want to go, you're going to go to Walmart, you're getting out on pavement, you're going to walk across the pavement, you're going to go in the store that's tiled and nice, and you're going to walk around in the store. Almost everywhere you go, probably, when you're wearing these flip-flops, is going to be paved and fairly clean. But I want you to think about what was going on in the first century. In first century in Jerusalem, most often it would have been hot, it would have been humid. If you were in Jerusalem, they probably would not have had the, the sanitary requirements that is uh, prevalent in our cities today. In fact, their mode of transportation would have been a donkey or something along those lines, and there wouldn't have been bags behind the donkeys to help clean up things, but along the way, there would have been donkeys stopping to do what donkeys do, right? And that would have been in the highways and in the byways, and uh, there would have been people because there wasn't a whole uh, septic and sewer system in place there, and so the people would be doing what people do. Uh, people who, in our day, want things to be green and natural, that was as green and as natural as you're going to get. And so during that day, people were walking along those things, and they were uh, walking in those uh, places where other things had walked and other creatures has been and walking through those things. And imagine in the evening when this meal was taking place as they are reclining at the table, because even in that case, if you and I spent a full day in Jerusalem in the first century in our flip-flops and we were to kind of pull up to the table, we're still thinking we're sitting in a nice chair around the table, right? But that wasn't the case either. That wasn't how they had a meal. In fact, you can read in the Gospels and you see that there was uh, some of the disciples that were reclining even upon Jesus. And so in proximity of whatever kind of table that was there, as they would have been laying around this uh, area, there would have been feet close to faces. Which was why, even in this case, it was a great affront to the culture that no one had washed feet. That was one of the first things that should have been done. But it gives you an insight into what was going on with the disciples. Because disciples generally would never wash feet. That was the servant's responsibility. And as we read this story, and we read the other gospels, what we see is there probably wasn't a servant in the room. Until so you have people who say, I love Jesus, but no one is willing to wash feet. No one is willing to take the place of a servant. It was certainly never the teacher's job to wash feet. It was certainly never the teacher's role to wash feet. But Jesus, knowing that there were 12 men sitting around a table, reclining, some upon him, some near him, feet near faces, Jesus does what no one else was willing to do. And Jesus removes his outer garment, his robe. Now, the outer garment was an important 
piece of what you would wear in the first century. It symbolized your place in society. John 19 and 23 tells us that Jesus had a seamless garment. His tunic was probably expensive. The priest's robe was woven like that. The robe was probably of good quality as well. To have a robe such as Jesus had was a special honor. We look in Luke 15 and 22 that when the prodigal son comes home, he is given the best robe. Long flowing robes in this culture were symbols of high office and high esteem. And Jesus lays aside his authority, which leaves him in the garments of the ordinary servant. He lays aside what symbolizes authority, and it leaves him in the garments of an ordinary servant because Jesus is not a passive servant. He's not one who says, yes, I'm serving, I'm a server, I've got the gift of server, but then sits on the sidelines. He's one who is engaged and active when there is a need of service. Jesus doesn't just sit back, but Jesus is engaged. And what does Jesus do? He takes up the towel. So Jesus comes and he takes up the towel and without a word, he shines the light on the pridefulness of his disciples. Not one of which was willing to humble themselves and to clean the feet, which again was a great affront to protocol. In one act, Jesus illustrates the posture of you and I as individual believers and of the church collectively. We have been called to take up the towel. We have been called to get dirty and to be willing to wash someone else's feet. Jesus laid aside his robe, and the one thing he says to the church and to us as his people, he never tells us to take up the robe. The robe's a symbol of authority. The robe is a symbol of who he was as a rabbi. He never says, take up the robe. Take up the towel. Jesus calls us to take up the towel because servanthood is more than just a position. It is a posture. It is more than just a title. It is a way in which we act and engage with one another. And Jesus calls you and I to take up the towel. In Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28, it says, Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles domineer over them and those in high position exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Those who seek to be greatest must become least. 
There is only room for one person to pick up the robes again, and that is Jesus. And he will do it in eternity, and it will be glorious. And we read in the end of the book about his white robes that he will wear that symbolizes his power and authority. But never will you and I take up those robes of authority. If you desire to be used of God, be willing to take the lowest position, and in due season he will lift you up. Jesus loves people. Jesus serves people. As Lord and King, he commands us as his people to serve one another. He says in John 13 and 12, Do you understand what I have done for you? And what he has done is he's given the key to the kingdom, which is servanthood. It's not, we are not to be like the Gentiles. We are not to be like the people in the world and the people in D.C. that everybody is always wrestling over power and authority. We can't be like that. We're a different people, which is why they hate us. We're not of this world. This is not our home. We're not trying to make this like heaven. We want this to be a place where we are passing through, loving people, calling them along, that there's a better place. And the greatest among us must be the servant of all. Jesus says, I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. This is a command. We are commanded to serve one another in humility. We are commanded to help clean the mud, the dirt, and the dung off of each other's smelly feet. I remember a time... When I was seeing Nicole and we were, had um, began thinking about uh, marriage and her dad hosted a Bible study uh, at his house down in uh, the basement. Now, I'm, as I said, uh, I'm, I'm a bit, I don't show my feet out that often. Uh, if I'm getting in a swimming pool or maybe getting in the baptistry or something like that, uh, y'all be looking next Sunday. <laughs> But uh, there's a, I got a bit of a genetic defect on my feet, so I don't like showing them off. Well, I, uh, Nicole's dad was having a Bible study. Of course, I'm in love with this girl, and I want to kind of, you know, I want to impress her, impress her dad. And so I'm going to this Bible study uh, to be faithful and show my great spirituality. And uh, this time, you know, I've been out working all day. Uh, I've been at school, I come to their house, mom feeds me, and I find out uh, that they're having foot washing service that night. I don't know these guys. One, you know, I'm sure after being in shoes all day, you know, feet are feet, and uh, then going down to the Bible study and kind of being a bit embarrassed already. But that's the way the Lord works, isn't it? to press us into humility because that's the posture of a servant. There is joy in serving other people in the love of Christ. Verse 17 says, you are blessed if you follow this example.
Humility is not passivity. We don't say, I'm humble, humble, and sit over in the corner and do nothing with the gifts and abilities God has called us to use. But we take up the gifts that God has given us that we've talked about in weeks past, and we engage those in the service of other people. As each one has received a special gift, each one, each one, lift your hand. Everyone lift your hand. Can everyone just please lift your hand? Everyone lift your hand. Everyone. If you've lifted your hand, everyone lifting their hand, you've been given a special gift. You've been given a special gift. And here's what the Scripture says about your special gift. Employ it, not in lording over one another and saying, I have this special gift and I'm the only one that can use it and know how to use it. No, employ it in what? Serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we serve one another in humility of ourselves, recognizing that Jesus has done something in us and our service brings glory to God because we recognize him alone who has dominion and authority forever and forever. Our gifts exercised in humility are a means to glorify the Lord. Jesus' humility was shown in how he served. And he commands us to do the same, to humbly serve others for the glory of God. Think about the gift that you have been given, and think about the opportunities that you have to be able to serve other people. And again, I'm a local church guy. I believe in the mission of the church to be uh, worldwide. I believe in it. I believe we ought to invest in it. I believe we ought to send. I believe we ought to pray. I believe we ought to go at times when we can. But I'm a local church guy because I believe that it is the local church. That's what I see in the book of Acts, that there are local churches that are popping up here and there. And it is where the church is growing together and people growing together in relationship. And it becomes a sanctifying process for you and me to be in relationship with one another because we realize we have to do it in Christ-like humility. That's right. Taking up the towel, being willing to do the lowest job that is necessary. Now think about it on that night when Jesus took up the towel, what is going through the disciples' minds. They each and every one know what should have been done. Each and every one of them knew somebody should have washed the feet at the beginning before they ever had the meal. Each and every one of them knew what was supposed to happen. And yet not one of them was willing to do it. I'm not doing it. Let Peter do it. Let John do it. Isn't that what we do sometimes? Oh, we see it. Hey, can you? It's our responsibility to take up the towel, to serve one another. Do you see someone mourning and in sorrow? Do you see someone who is broken? 
You see someone who's been ravaged by the world. When they walk in here, we're going to take up the towel. We're going to take up the towel and we're going to help to wash the muck off. We're going to bring them to Jesus because we know that Jesus is able to heal and Jesus is able to cleanse. But what we can do is we can begin to clean the wounds. We can begin to get the world dung off their feet, the places that they've been. What you got to realize is that when you, when you walk, when you're walking around in the world, what are you picking up? The places that I've been today, the places that I've been today, maybe stones ground in the bottom of my shoe or whatever's going on. I bring it with me. I bring it with me to church tonight and the places that I've gone today. What are the people out in the world that are bringing all the mess that the world has told them would give them, would give them a good time, would help them feel better about themselves, would help them have joy? What is the world going to bring in here? And what we're called to do is we're called to take up the towel and help because some people are going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenge with some people, and God's going to help you get ticked off sometimes so that you can take up the towel again and humble yourself. That's the kind of church we have to be. We prayed in the very beginning of this church that we be a church that was willing to minister to broken people. We'd be a place that is willing to welcome in people who have been out there and have experienced all out there has and who somehow find their way here and we're going to take up the towel and we're going to serve. That's what we're going to do. And we want to introduce them to Jesus and bring them to Jesus. Our love for people pulls us towards service. Our service is out of a heart of love for Jesus. Because we not only want to follow what he has commanded, but we want to follow his example as well. And we must pray, and that's what we're going to do just now, to humble ourselves and to serve each other and those who call this their church home in the future in Christ-like humility. That's our goal. There is not going to be a Lord here. There's not going to be a king, only one king, and that's Jesus we are going to be a church that every single one of us is willing to pick up a towel. And if you're not willing to pick up a towel, what that tells me is you need to walk in the grace of sanctification. You need to walk a little more and ask God to sanctify you a little more until you're willing to humble yourself and pick up a towel and get in the dirt with someone else who's had a rough go of it. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray. Before we pray, I want to make you aware of a few things. Next Sunday, as we said, we're going to celebrate baptism. Right now, we've got about nine more people, ten more people, who want to follow the Lord in baptism. We should praise Him for that. We're going to celebrate communion together next Sunday morning. We're going to baptize people, and we're going to commune with the Lord. I want you now to begin preparing your heart. Begin thinking about it. Begin praying about it. Begin seeking the Lord. Begin asking him to sanctify your heart. That Sunday morning, next Sunday morning when we come together, that we are prayed up.
we have committed ourselves to the Lord. If we need to make amends with someone, we've done it. And when we come to the table of grace, it's not just another act that we've done last month and the month before, but we come to the table of grace because we are anxious to commune with the Lord. And Sunday night, we're going to come together again at 6 p.m., and we're going to pray for a little while. And we're going to humble ourselves with one another. We're going to serve one another. And we're going to take up the towel with one another. And we're going to wash one another's feet. We're going to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to have men with men and ladies with ladies. And we're going to come together on Sunday night of next week. And we're going to wash one another's feet as an example and a testament that we're willing to serve whomever. And we're going to pray that God would humble us in the moment. That God would humble our hearts before him as we seek to serve the Lord. Serve his church whom he has died for in Christ-like humility. Heavenly Father, we thank you in this moment, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for your grace, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your mercy. And God, I pray we'd be willing to humble our hearts before you. In the world's eyes, Lord Jesus, something like foot washing seems insignificant, silly, stupid. Why would you do that? Oh, I get anxious about it. What does somebody think? What does somebody say? But every time, Lord Jesus, I've sensed your spirit I've sent your presence humbling me before you, God. And I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, that we would be a people who are humble before you. That are willing to reach out and serve others. God, there are those who have over and over and over again been beat up by the world. There are those who even say, I love Jesus, and yet continue to struggle with things of the past who need someone to serve them. And God, we pray right now, Lord Jesus, that we would be a people who would humble ourselves before you, who would pray and seek you, Lord God, who would cry out to you, Lord, to humble us as a church, Lord Jesus, that then you and your grace and in your mercy could lift us up. as they lead us in song I'm just going to pray that you would examine your heart before the Lord all of us would examine our hearts before the Lord if there's anything there any sense of pride that you would cry out and ask the Lord to forgive you and ask the Lord to heal you that you would humble yourself before him that in due season he will lift you up. 
that we would be willing to serve one another. That we would be willing to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would see what Jesus did. He wasn't clamoring for authority. He wasn't trying to be the rabbi who everybody looked to. In fact, so often he said, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. He taught us how to lay aside the robe, to, to not be lording it over people like the Gentiles, but to be humble in our heart, to love one another, to care for one another. make a place of prayer where you are for these next few moments. If you want to meet here at the altar, it's just a place that we have dedicated to meeting the Lord. You want to come here to the altar and kneel and pray. You are welcome to do that. But let's take these few moments. Let's commit ourselves to Jesus. Let's let him humble us and point out things in our life that we need to lay before him. That he would be exalted. Thank you again for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope you enjoyed today's message and that it encouraged you to take a step closer to Jesus. Please reach out to us if there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about. To get more information about Riverstone Church, you can visit riverstonechurch.net. God bless you this week, and may you walk in all of Christ's promises and plans for your life.